that one of their signature band songs is Hey Fighting Tigers. I'm just kidding. It's not how it sounds. But uh, <laughs> No, what? you just totally messed me up. No, that's not how it spans. <laughs> why'd, you, why'd you do that? Stop. Uh, I ruined uh, everything. No, stop. Um, I have to listen to it now because you've ruined me. Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Nathan. And I'm still Justin. Yes, and we're going to talk about LSU. And holy crap, this is going to be a good episode. You have no idea. We've already oh, been recording for 20 minutes, and it's just been way off the rails already. So, Just talking so much trash. Let's get into this subjective preview. You know, the, actually, let me pause before we get into the subjective narrative. Um, the absolutely, like, to- stone-cold sober right now. is, And that's, like, sort of the problem oh. is how just how sober i am like the the amount of my sobriety versus how stupid i am is it's just <laughs> staggering like there are a lot of times i wish i could say yeah sorry just really been drinking let's get into subjective narratives what kind of things are we hearing about this lsu georgia game i mean i think you know so we're going to obviously do our history lesson and all of our non-football stuff here in a minute i i think going into this that UGA is expected to win by more than I thought, and most people think UGA is going to win. And I don't know that I think UGA is going to win. I haven't even written my prediction yet, but I'm not fully sure yep. of this. Neither of us have. I, I really do think, I mean, I think people probably think that this is going to be a more of a blowout than it's going to be, um, or more of a comfortable win for UGA. I, I, de- I definitely don't see it at all. I don't know. I mean, honestly, I, I think I think the biggest narrative going into this game has to just be the fact that, like, finally good football like this is a really good weekend this is a really good it's weekend. so true i'm so ready for for good games and we're about to see a bunch of really good games i know that a, a lot of narratives are being thrown about um one about how bad everyone thinks our run defense is and this will be the first time a run defense has been truly tested um just because oh okay well that is a subjective narrative being thrown about i'm just, oh, I'm no, just saying oh, no, what you're, you're saying what the, yeah this is subjective yeah yeah, yeah you're good yeah, yeah yeah this is not my own opinion because we've already gone through the stats and we already know that that's not necessarily true, but that's what a lot of people are saying. What I find interesting about that idea, first of all, without me even looking at the stats, our run defense has not been fully all the ones all this year. Uh, And also a lot of the teams we've been playing against have all been playing from behind significantly. So their passing has been uh, increased over the length of the game and their running game is running up against our twos. And so, I mean... And at the end of the day, most of those teams have really only averaged about 115, 120 yards per game. But that's my my quick snapshot into to run D. Yeah, I mean, I we can get it. We we will get into the stats later. But I think oh, you're yeah, right sure. that that is definitely a subjective narrative. So uh, why don't you take us on a little history, a little Just tour a little, of the history of LSU, a little drive through the the swampy bayou that is Baton Rouge, Baton Rouge, the red stick, the red stick. Do you have any? I really want to know, hey, everybody who's listening, if you have a really great story about being in Louisiana or being like at Mardi Gras or being at um, in Baton Rouge or uh, being in New Orleans or you have any of those stories, let us know because I want oh, to hear them. I, I mean, I 100% do, but I will not tell them publicly. So, no, yeah, no, 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 absolutely. Know. Tell them to us so that we can tell them publicly of you. We will uh, censor your names. We did actually have a really funny story come about from one of our, uh, one of our friends that... Uh, slid up into our dms and told us a fantastic story about him getting kicked out of the abita springs abita brewery which i won't say who it was but i really like that story <laughs> thank you for showing us uh anyway talking about lsu 
I found, which I'm surprised I had not found this beforehand, but this is a really neat website called Winsipedia. Yeah, Winsipedia is amazing. How have you never yeah, found that? I've just never really gone looking for that specifically. I've always looked at like the actual, um, like the history of the school alone, but I've never looked at like right, right. comparing both schools. Yeah, it's so really good. It's really neat. Uh, but yeah, you can kind of go down and you kind of get to see just in a quick snapshot, a beautiful image, uh, just how these two teams stack up against each other. So the all-time record between these two schools is Georgia has 13 wins uh, to LSU's 16. So, and then there's one tie between both schools. So LSU is winning currently. The largest margin of victory between the two schools was Georgia's 45-16 win in 2004. UGA, they have a better all-time record. They have 814 wins to LSU's 792 wins and their 413 losses all time. But what's neat about that is that UGA is ranked 13th out of the 130 teams. LSU's 14th out of the 130 teams. It just kind of goes down from there. What I other pieces that I thought were really interesting. They only have their one Heisman winner. We have two Heisman winners, which gives us 13th ranked. And then, haha, suck at LSU. <laughs> but they've had more NFL draft picks by only 12. They have 335 NFL draft picks all time. 41 first-round picks to our 35. They have 608 weeks in the AP poll, but 30 weeks at the number one spot, which is uh, good for twice as many as we have been at number one in the history of our program. So kind of give you a quick overview of just kind of oh. what these teams are coming from. They have a they have a deep tradition at uh, LSU of just being a good football team. They've, they've always yeah. just kind of been a, a fairly good football team. All the team. way back to Billy Cannon. All the way back to... Billy Cannon. <clears throat> yeah, if you look up some old film of Billy Cannon, man, that guy was crazy. Billy Cannon is the best name I've heard in quite it's, some it's, time. It's a very LSU football name. Oh, for, for sure. sure. Those indoctrinated, not not indoctrinated to the, the Billy Cannon cannon. Ha-ha. Uh, he is the only Heisman winner to come out of LSU, and he took that in 1959 and also sent LSU to their very first national championship. Yeah, he was a uh, combo running back and tight end, which I think is hilarious, and he played, he played when... It was a little bit, it was almost like proto uh, wing T, even when the wing T was cutting edge. And, and his name won, was Billy Cannon. Yeah, he won in 1950. And he's one of the few like 1950 level athletes that if you look at him, he actually looks like, he's like a, he looks like an athlete, you know, whereas a lot of the athletes uh, from the, that era look like uh, dudes pulled out of the stands with cigarettes in their mouths and stuff. So <laughs> they just also played football, like on the yeah, side. Yeah, exactly, exactly. There's, I had some extra time during my week, so I decided to play a little bit of football. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I was trying to meet a cheerleader, so I decided to play football. Yeah. Um, other things about LSU, sorry. They, I read a really fun article about uh, they are probably responsible. Well, they are responsible for bringing Nick Saban to the SEC. Uh, well, yeah, they directly are, but UGA yeah. is also sort of re- responsible for bringing. For sure, because, yeah. Because, like, it was a loss in, what was the year? Was it 97? 97, yeah. Yeah. So like Kirby Smart uh, was playing. Yeah, Kirby Smart was playing, and LSU lost to UGA 28-27, and that was sort of one of the precipitating events that ended up getting um, the current LSU coach fired and then got in- indirectly led to Nick Saban coming to LSU or to the SEC. Mm-hmm. That was kind um, of the uh, one of the tipping points of the LSU program at the time that kind of sent them on the spiral. Then they just kind of crapped the bed over the next couple of years mm-hmm, until mm-hmm. Nick Saban finally came to LSU, who then went to like the Browns and the Dolphins and eventually made his way to Alabama in 2007. But, you know, LSU, it's your fault. LSU, you did this um, to us. You did this. You did this to all of us. Of course, if LSU still fan, if you if LSU still had Nick Saban, they wouldn't be upset about it. No. And I think LSU is the kind of team and program that if I were to personify them, I would say they'd look back on that decision and say, yeah, we did it. 
and we liked it too. Yeah, yeah. We'd do it again if we could. Um, LSU just likes to spite you. I love that about them, actually. I do actually like that too. um, You got anything else? Oh, so the last few things... This is kind of neat. They they only have they have a one special jersey. It's number eighteen on their 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 jersey. Uh, there's only ever one player with the number eighteen uh, on their roster, and it's uh, it was originally one of their Heisman candidates, like in the late I think 1990s. But now it's just voted on from the team. It used to be handed down from like one player to another. Like that player would say, "I want you to be an 18 next. I think you deserve it. You're like up and coming." But now it's voted on by the entire team that this player is the most deserving player. And so this year is Forrest Moreau. He's a tight end. He's a senior tight end, and he has been voted as number 18 this year. So be sure to keep an eye out, Moreau. Yeah. Um, I think it's you pretty neat. go into... You've got, it looks like you got one more. That One of their signature band songs is Hey, Fighting Tigers. I'm just kidding. It's not how it sounds. But uh, <laughs> No, what? you just totally messed me up. No, that's not <laughs> how it's bands. Why'd you, why'd you do that? Stop. Uh, I ruined uh, everything. No, stop. I um, have to listen to it now because you've ruined me. <laughs> their their band director thomas tyra adopted that song in the 1960s go to hell justin okay so it was originally written for a musical starring lucille ball but lsu purchased the rights in the 60s uh to the song and the original writer pinned new tiger-centric lyrics and speaking of Tyra, he was LSU's band director in 1959 at the age of 26, which made him the youngest band director in the nation. And Tyra also founded what became the Golden Girls, which are LSU's dance line, when he became the director in 59 as well. So he brought all of these things. Yeah, there were um, several um, big band directors that came into the SEC in the 50s and sort of modernized the state of SEC programs. Uh, UGA's was Robert Dance and LSU's was Tyra. And they were sort of contemporaries in the 50s was like the very end of the transition in band history between uh like sort of old school sort of military style bands at having those at college football games and then sort of the more new school show bands or what we would not call show bands today but like bands that played a show um yes i'm really loving all the names we're seeing today billy cannon uh thomas tyra yeah the guy dance i yeah i want to oh roger dance roger dance yeah roger dance was like the uh, he's like the the father of the Redcoat Marching Band. And Tyra at LSU is sort of that way too. Before we get into... I'm about to talk a lot about LSU's band. But before we get into that, I just wanted to roll through um, LSU's current roster and just give you some like really good LSU names. Okay? Oh, yes. Um, Alex Alcoin, uh, quarterback. <laughs> Kerry Vincent Jr., that's uh, a cornerback. <laughs> that's a very good one. Terrace Marshall, that's a very LSU name. Let's see. Jonathan Giles. That's a little LSU-y. Let me see. I'm trying to find the good ones here. Terrence Alexander. Terrence in any form. First or last name spelled anyway. John Trey Kirkland. Kirkland, that's a real Louisiana name to me. Oh, but okay. So my favorite two are Javon and Noel. Or sorry. Javon and Loel Martise. Or, <laughs> I said it wrong again. Damn it. Okay. So Javon Narcisse is a de- uh, defensive back freshman. And then I'm pretty sure his brother, yeah, Javon Narcisse is really good. Cly- oh, yeah, yeah. But the, their number, their best one is their sophomore running back, who is also their best running back, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And Edwards-Hilaire is definitely hyphenated. Oh, my God. That's so LSU. Jesus. <laughs> There's a lot Jesus, of that's in, LSU. In the LSU uh, that's LSU so right. much. Okay. And then L- Leonard oh. Fournette. They have a guy named Leonard Fournette. Not Wait Leonard Fournette. Wait no. a minute. 
I'm pretty sure Leonard Fournette surely has to be Leonard. He Fournette's has to be related brother, right? Like he's got to be. <laughs> yes, he is. Le- Leonard and Leonard. That's fantastic. Anna has a lot of students that have very similar names like that. I really enjoy oh, okay. that. Okay, but another very LSU name, Greedy Williams. Greedy Williams <laughs> is just like a good quarterback name. Greedy good Williams cornerback. is very good. Yeah, he's a good player, but also what a great name. Um, they also have a player whose first name is Tiger. They have Tiger Shayed. That's they, so good. God, and they that's also good. had. Um, I really like names that are two first names. Tyler Taylor. Poor Tyler Taylor. Oh, a really good one. This guy's from Alabama, not from Louisiana, but Jakari Savage. Ooh. Jakari Savage. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Donovan Campbell. Now, that doesn't sound very LSU, except he's from Louisiana, and his name, his first name, Donovan, D-O-N-A-V-A-U-G-H-N. Whew, that's good. That's very, that's got some French influence in it. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. Uh, Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yes. Lloyd Cushenberry III. (laughs) There were three of them. Jamal it was Pettig- so good they did it thrice. Jamal Pettigrew and Thaddeus Moss, two very LSU names. Oh my god. I might like I kind of love the names on this team. God, they're so good. This what a is great nothing. name team. There's so many like there's so many good names on every team. Yeah, but, but Dan Therese, these are they're all so to type because LSU just recruits the hell out of Louisiana. So they're yeah. all so like, oh, this person is from a swamp. <laughs> uh, that Samantha just Samantha just reminded me of the uh, Key and Peele um, yes. sketch that she just sent me. Jamar, Jamaris, and Chavaris, and Lamar. <laughs> um, I'm going to say one more name, and then I'm going to uh, throw a, a disclaimer out there. But I, I found a Cameron Prudhomme, oh, which I really good. enjoyed. Cameron Prudhomme. But I just I also wanted to say, we don't yuck yums, and this is only in good fun. <laughs> yeah. We are not making fun of anybody or belittling, belittling anyone just for their name, because it's nothing they can change easily. Right, yeah. Well, we're not belittling them. We're just saying, like, well, yeah, hell yeah, you went to LSU. <laughs> That's a name. Sure is. Yeah, I mean, how could you not? I mean, if your name's Cameron Prudhomme, how are you not going to LSU? If you're from <laughs> if you're from Geismar, Louisiana, and you're 6'4", and you weigh 300 pounds, and your name's Lloyd Cushenberry, yeah, they're going just to like, LSU, sir. You pop out at birth, and they check your gro- growth plates, and then you sign the effing paperwork right there. Lloyd Cushenberry. <laughs> I mean, if your name's Pettigrew, like, just go ahead and, like, sign the letter of intent, man. Like, we're going to need him in 18 years. And they go, yes, yeah, man. yeah. Look at those growth plates. That boy's going to be big. I like Jab- <laughs> his growth plates. Javon. All right, so I never say bad things about bands, but I also tend to be pretty, like, hey, yeah, they're fine. But I'm, I'm actually going to say something, like, really positive. LSU's band is so effing good, dude. In 2012, uh, when we went to the SEC Championship, like their band, their instrumentation, like they're very brass heavy. They don't have a lot of woodwinds. And oh my God, like when they played us in that 2012, it was just like getting smacked in the face. And the thing about LSU's band is, and I don't, I, I can't verify that this is true still. I don't think it is true at this point, but for a very long time, LSU's band had a full scholarship or at least a significant scholarship for every member of the band. And that is not a normal, that is not the normal status of play for almost every band in the nation. And so they were always very good because of that, because like you just go play with them and they give you money. Right. But because of that, for the long time, and, I, and again, I, I can't verify that this is still true, but I know it was true at one point for a long time. The way that you got into LSU's band is that you went uh, to band camp and you went all the way through however many weeks of band camp. And then on the last day of band camp, you went into Tiger Stadium and you performed, you and a small group of other people trying to get into the band, performed the pregame show, and then they just picked the people they wanted. Wow. So they would take like the best, you know, 
375 out of like 500 or something. And I don't know if that's still true, but I know at one point that like the audition process was just so good are so, so difficult that they're very good. They're still very, very good. And um, they don't play it anymore, but LSU's band plays like one of the all-time slappers, one of the all-time bops ever <laughs> done by a band, which is Neck. Uh, it was originally a cameo song about like how politicians are liars, but that's not really how they played it. And it is just such a banger. God, the way they play it. Like a lot of people play uh, Neck. It was originally, I don't know who the first band to do it was, but it's a bit, it was a big song in the Miak and the Swack. Uh, it's like an HBCU song and Southern University, which is also in Baton Rouge, does it um, as well. But LSU's version is very good, but they actually can't play it anymore because LSU student section hilariously had a very profane thing they would yell right in the middle of it. Um, which is awesome and hilarious, but also makes me sad because that arrangement of that song is just so effing good. God, it's good. And it bums me out that now, like, I don't think anyone, you know, in a major school could really get away with playing it because people would just look up the video of LSU fans playing it and what they scouted, shouted and then <laughs> just change the names around. I mean, I know, like, if I was a dumb college student, that's what I would do. Oh, um, for sure. <laughs> hey, Google, play Nick. It's going to play the cameo song. No, this is not this is not the cameo song. This is like an R&B slow jam. What the hell are you doing, man? This is sexy. Hey, Google, stop. That's good. It's so good. If, if you ever just like want a good chuckle, just look up LSU student section neck and it'll and it's just the number of just really drunk, like 20 year olds screaming obscenities that many together is so funny to me. Anyway, <laughs> let's talk about. Let's talk man, about real, football. Real stats-heavy episode so far here, boyos. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm right. so glad we're playing LSU in one of the hardest games we've played all year. And yeah, I know we, we're really we're really about. taking it we're really taking it real damn seriously right now. Um, you want to run down okay. the S and P plus LSU? Currently, they are five and one. They have four point three second order wins, which means they probably are more like a four and two team. But whatever, they are in the eighty six percentile of S and P plus. They are nineteenth overall. They have the 49th ranked S&P Plus offense and the 15th ranked S&P Plus defense. Uh, they have the second ranked special teams. They have a very good punter. Um, last week, they were 17th and they went down two because of their loss to Florida. So there are five factors on offense. 70th and success, or 78th in success rate, 77th in marginal efficiency, 93rd in ISO PPP, 80th in marginal explosiveness, 38th in average field position, which I think is kind of unduly pulling up there stats but whatever it doesn't matter 53rd and points per scoring opportunity um and then we'll do turnovers last so defensively they are 58th and success rate 47th and marginal efficiency 6th and isos ppp 12th and marginal explosiveness 5th and average field position and 59th and finishing drives their turnover margin numbers are pretty weird their expected turnover margin is negative 0.7 which is good for 86th in the nation and their actual turnover margin is plus five which is good for 14th in the nation. So they're getting about 4.8 turnover points per game, or points per game off of turnover like. Like turnovers they shouldn't recover that they are recovering. It's worth about five points a game. Footprint stats. Let's run these down real quick. So st- offensively, standard down run rate, 33rd in the nation. Passing down run rate, 33rd in the nation. Adjusted pace, 75th in the nation. Percentage of solo tackles, 126th in the nation. Jeebs. Yeah, 126th. That means that they just do not get their dudes in space. They they are a ground and pound inside play inside a phone booth kind of uh, mm-hmm. group. They are 99th in havoc rate allowed. Havoc rate allowed, which is also not good. They are uh, defensively. They're 100 standard down run rate is 100th. 
Passing out run rate is 107th. Overall havoc rate is 64th. DLAL havoc rate is 110th. LV havoc rate is 29th. DB havoc rate is 53rd. They are 75th and pass de- passes defends to interceptions. This is just right around average. So yeah, well, let's talk a little about, bit below average, but yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So let's talk about these good, good stats. What are you seeing? So uh, going all over these, what, what are you seeing from them? One of the pieces that I uh, had written down after looking through their stats before this episode is just that the, the AP poll, it feels like they had LSU ranked considerably higher than their stats would allow. And also S and P plus ranking. They are ranked overall. I think, let me see before I say it out loud, 19th. So, and before this, they were maybe 15th, I think. So it wasn't that much of a considerable difference after their loss to Florida. So, and that's what the stats tell us. I mean, it, it tells us a, a true story of a team that has definitely struggled on trying to diversify their offense. You know, they have a pretty above average offense, but trying to diversify it and do more things with what they've got isn't necessarily helping all the time. They're, they're kind of just playing, you know, your traditional stereotypical SEC football, it seems. And mm-hmm. it is what it is. I mean, it, it's been working five out of six times, so it's not a terrible thing. Yeah. Uh, defensively, they're not hot. I, I, what I really like is that they're, what they're good at on defense is what we are, or what they're bad on a defense, excuse me, is what we are really good at on offense. And so I, I think that lines up really well for me. Yeah. I mean, um, there are, you know, this is a team, I would say overall, I agree. They're sort of overrated in AP. I don't really care about AP, but whatever yeah, they are. Uh, people, um, people give, you know, they give it clout. They're, they are definitely, they're a team, and this is not a backhand attack compliment. They are just like, at least perfectly average at everything. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, most teams are very good at one thing and very, very bad at a couple of other things. So they, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily, I mean, I'm, and that's not me trying to damn them with great praise. They're just a consistently good team kind of throughout. I think there are a couple of places where we match up pretty well. I mean, um, standard on sack rate, 106. That's not great. Passing uh, passing down line yards per carry 116th. If your line yards per carry and any down are that low, that's not super great. It's probably a small sample size thing, but still, yeah. You know, just lots of 40s and 50s, and then the occasional high number. So, like, if we look at their rushing defensive stats, breaking down, 46th in marginal rush efficiency, 23rd in rushing marginal explosiveness, 54th in opportunity rate, 60th in stuff rate. So it's like they're they're above average to average at everything. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, if you put all of that together on a team, that ends up being a very good team. You know, they're not efficient on defense really at all. They are on offense really at all. Their third and short percentage is... Or no, actually, they're not really that efficient on. No, their offense is is pretty below average across the board. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, they're um, and defensively, they've got some interesting things. Like they're not they're not forcing a lot of third and shorts. Um, they're also not forcing that many thirds and longs. Right? They don't have a lot. Of, they have pretty good success rate numbers on third down defensively, but they're not really creating a lot of them. Um, so to me, that says you know, I think if we can be efficient in passing, we can we can do some stuff against them. Their passing marginal efficiency it, uh, is actually not that great. Their explosiveness is very good, but um, they just, I don't know. They, they kind of, in some ways are like a mirror image of us. They're a little bit better um, explosive or they're a little bit better at defending efficiency and worse at defending explosiveness by a little bit. So they are sort of like our mirror image in that way. Although I, I think offensively, there's a pretty big separation in skill talent between this team and that team. They have a lot of skill, but I, I don't think really offensively and defensively, I don't think that they're as deep as we are. 
they have a fewer number of players than we do with at least two tackles. And then they also have, I saw this online somewhere, they also have a significantly fewer number of players who have played defensively from last mm-hmm. year. That is true. And uh, a, a few few important pieces to kind of look at too is that they are above average considerably in the end zone, both on e- offense and defense. So especially on defense, they're, they're a, a decent bit better than other teams we've played in the red zone, um, trying to hold teams to before they actually get you know a full touchdown so they're holding teams to three points they're holding teams to punts they're holding teams to um, just keep them from getting as many scoring opportunities as possible so that's something we can definitely look for is that this LSU team will play up to where they need to be yeah I mean and don't get me wrong like I definitely I don't think that there's anything in these stats that tell you that this game is going to be easy and if you combine that with what you know about LSU's home field advantage which is bad. You know, well, it's a good time. Yeah. 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 I mean, their home field advantage is bad for us and, you know, good for. Yeah. You know, currently, Bill Connolly's numbers give us a 30% or give them a 30% win probability against us. The perfected margin is us plus nine points. Mm-hmm. That seems like a lot to me, but I do think that as good as they are, they have some stars on defense. They have basically like a star player at every level on defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, Devin White is like Roquan Smith if he was 20 pounds heavier. Like he's he's that good. Grant Delpit is a very good ball hawking safety. He already has three interceptions on the year. And then let's see, they've got a very good defensive end who's just a big old boy. Rashard Lawrence is a six three, three hundred and seventeen pound defensive end. He has fourteen tackles, three tackles for loss, four and a half run staffs um on the year. He's very good. One thing I am noticing is that their sack rate isn't that great. And actually the, the person with the highest number of sacks on the team is Grant Delpit, their safety. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I, they have some very good run stopping uh, defensive tackles and DNs, but they're, they're getting more of their pressure from the blitz. It seems like to this point this year. So that's going to be an interesting thing because we have been decent at picking up blitzes to this point this year. So mm-hmm. as long if, if that might be something where with the right, you know, game plan, we can sort of neutralize some of that. Yeah. Uh, a few other pieces that I've I've actually seen to the stats is that they do have a decent punter, and so that gives their defense uh, a number five rank at the uh, just starting field position for them, their average field position. But what's great about that is like on one hand that's great for LSU, but what's great for us is that our uh, efficiency success rate is sitting right under sixty percent uh, on offense, whereas their defensive success rate on efficiency is sitting right below 40%. So there's a, a pretty big margin sitting right between those two pieces. And so I'm not too worried about sitting further back into field position like that. We're going to find out whether or not that, that number's for real. Yeah. Let's see. I, like I said before, they've been very turnover lucky. I mean, um, we've said this before several times, and this is something that people have a hard time grasping, but you can coach creating turnovers, but you can't coach collecting turnovers and so yep. five points of turnover luck a game means that basically once per game they should have had they should have lost an extra fumble um mm-hmm. we also know they don't put you on an island they're 128th and solo tackle rate so they're not going to try to isolate their playmaker playmakers using screens or you know throwing intermediate stuff and all that business but they will throw deep down the field I think, uh, interestingly enough, in terms of our defense, um, their Havoc rate allowed is 99th. So it's kind of a movable force meets a stoppable object. Although that that is kind of nice for us because um, I think for us to create Havoc rate, we're going to have to do it on the margins. And so mm-hmm. knowing that they're not good that good at preventing it is nice. Their rushing marginal efficiency is just pretty much average. So I don't know how that stacks up against what has been a suspect run D with us missing like three D tackles right now. I think it's good that, you know, they have two very good running backs in Nick Brissett and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. 
but it there's a question as to I mean they're averaging 4.9 or 4.7 carries a, a play or a, a carry per uh, this year. Um, Brissett has 118 carries. Uh, Clyde edwards Hilaire has Hilaire has 70. So that's like they're very good players and they're both hard to bring down, right? They're six six feet, two twenty one, five nine, two twelve, respectively. So like that, those are like the kind of players that LSU wants to have and that they can beat you with. And they're definitely good players, but they definitely are not like this is not like Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle, right? No. But to give you a point of reference, it is that is pretty similar to kind of what we're sitting at. On yeah. Oh, yeah. For, for sure. Rushers. For sure. Except their their third best rusher is their quarterback. Yeah. Um, and you know, the, the one of the other things, one of the other differences I would say between their stable of running backs and ours, if you look at the advanced stats, mostly is that they are putting a lot of wear on their running backs for sure. Like, yeah, our our they have they have about half of the the carries that their first running back does, but that's also because. We've been run, we've got we go four deep at running back. So yeah, we we go four deep, and we also have Fromm and Fields to to throw I mean, the ball and also run. One themselves. thing I will I will note is that if you look at their their top two rushers compared to ours, their um Clyde Edwards Hilaire, especially his highlight yards per opportunity are not that great. Although I will say that like uh, Elijah Holyfield is pretty much more efficient than anyone uh, on either team running. So oh yeah, that's also nice. Yeah, it's incredible. He has a 10.4% marginal efficiency. I know, he's so good. He's just going to get you those yards, dude. He'll get you them hard mm-hmm. yards. You know, another piece of this equation that I wanted to look at is uh, we talk about making teams predictable. And I think making team, you know, trying attempting to make a team predictable, you can look back. One of the, the ways to do that is look back on their, their previous losses. And LSU only has one loss, which came last week to a Florida team that we previously thought was really bad. But but it turns out it's not. Turns out they're pretty good. <laughs> but we, but we can learn a at, lot from that game statistically if we want to look at it. Yeah, I mean, so one thing that really stands out to me, if you look at their advanced box score, just in terms of like the what is red, um, quarter three, 20% success rate, that's real bad. That's really bad. Uh, they're, they're passing ISO PPP 0.98. See, like this is an offense that I would say anecdotally, like in terms of me watching it, what I've seen is that they either run it up the middle or they throw it deep. And if those deep if those deep passes don't land, there's not nothing's happening. No rush wise, or nothing's happening offensively. Um, they had a negative one point five uh, turnover margin. So and they lost two turnovers. So it was like they played kind of bad and loose with the ball, and they that ended up biting them finally. Um, what else are you seeing here? Uh, look on the defensive stats on on the Florida side of the ball. Florida accrued sixteen and a half havoc plays. 16 and a half. They just blitzed the hell out of Joe Burrow, both on yeah, standard yeah, well, and that's, passing uh, downs. It's that, that sweet, sweet Todd Grantham defense. It's insane. Yeah, three sacks on standard downs, two on passing downs. So it didn't matter when. He just knew they were coming eventually. He threw two interceptions. He got sacked five times. He had a completion rate of 56%. That's good for 19 completions out of 34 attempts. So just like you said, they're either running the ball or they're passing it deep. And that's why it comes down to him having only 19 of 34 of his passes completed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they have a very talented uh, receiving core. Um, Maybe one that has a little bit underperformed, uh, you know, one that has underperformed based on expectations coming into the year. Coming into the year, they had two five-star freshmen coming in, in um, Terrace Marshall and, give me a second and I'll tell you, uh, Jamar Chase. But to this year, you know, Jamar Chase has 12 catches for or has seven catches for 98 yards and Terrace Marshall has five catches for 81 yards. Neither of them are in the top five of receiving. So 
they definitely have a solid rushing core. Um, Justin Jefferson's their leading wide receiver. He's 6'2", 185. They've got a solid rushing uh, receiving core, but it's nothing crazy to write home about. And honestly, like, uh, Joe Burrow is just like, he's like college quarterback X. He's just like a stock average quarterback. 89, he's 89 for 165 for 1,200 yards this year. He's got six interceptions, two touchdowns, and a 53.9 completion rate. Just as a point of comparison, Jake Fromm, 83 for 114, 1,200 yards, um, 12 12 touchdowns, two interceptions for a 72% completion rate. Now, Jake Fromm's really effing good, but you can see that, like, there's a full difference between this. You know, there's a pretty significant difference between those two. Um, Just, like, for reference, Joe Burrow has a... Hit Joe Burrow on the year, and this is like a really telling stat. He has a positive 0.9% marginal efficiency, and Jake Fromm has a positive 17.3 marginal efficiency. So Joe Burrow is just not, I mean, he's a fine quarterback, but he's not going to, I don't know, he's not going to. He's not going to dissect your team by any means. Yeah, and he's not in, He's not going to lead like a bunch of consistent, like chunk by chunk play. No. Um, like five yard of play guy or things down the field. And if it comes down to the end of the game and we're like LSU has the ball and they're trying to like, we're, we're only three or four points ahead or something ridiculous. And they're trying to make a final drive down the field for a touchdown. I don't think that LSU wins this game. Like if it's that close by the end of the, end of the game, Joe Burrow is not the guy with the ball who's going to make that final drive. So that's not the kind of quarterback he is. We, let, we can yeah let, let's we can get into the like what the game looks like so what let's talk about what we want to see yeah so we we, we kind of know who lsu is a little bit more they're very good on defense they're just mediocre on offense they might not be as deep as we are on defense but they're still very good so what do you want to see i think we're gonna have to put a lot of pressure on joe burrow like if we want to make this team predictable we want them to to play how we want them to play we're going to have to make make it so that joe burrow does not throw and i think that if he does throw he's going to try and throw it deep like he's been doing and if this were four or five games ago, I would be saying something along the lines of, you know, he'll probably try and target Tyson Campbell. Yeah, and they probably still will, most likely, since he is the one of the least experienced on our secondary. But at this point of the season, you know, he's he's had a lot more experience and he's kind of just had the trial by fire thrown to the wolves, so to speak. And I'm not as worried about Tyson Campbell stopping explosive plays like that anymore. I do, however, think that they will play a lot more under. They're going to play under as much as they possibly can. They're going to try to run the ball as much as they possibly can, try to make us play up and try to trick our secondary, which many teams have done at this point. But I just still don't think it's going to be enough. So I'm, I'm hoping to see kind of that uh, linear progression of their offense is, is trying to play each of those different pieces and eventually um, trying to trick our secondary into playing up a lot further up uh, and it just doesn't work out. So, Yeah, I mean, I, I think that um you know you said they're going to try to play under which is just like basically you're going to try to be efficient offensively passing and and i think that if they do try that that does sort of bode well for us because like their passing marginal efficiency is 83rd in the nation right so that like they're not very good at that and if they have to try to do that if that's if we can shut down the run until they have to do that um then we're going to be in good shape but i have seen that due to some injuries we do have a a a good mix-up of uh linebackers right now Uh, yeah we are we have lost well defensive tackles is the problem so um let's see uh we currently have hurt Devontae wyatt is hurt and may return yeah so uh daquan or daquan hawkins muckle is hurt david marshall has a foot and is both those both are out Devontae wyatt um 
is probably also out. So that's like probably our like fourth, eighth, and ninth best defensive lineman. So that's kind of a problem. Justin Young is back, so that's good, but he has not been a, uh, a much of a factor to this point this year. But Malik Herring looks like he's going to get the start next to uh, Julian Rochester and Jonathan Ledbetter. It also seems like Jordan Davis, the freshman, is going to start playing a lot more at nose tackle. I'm a little worried about that. They have not been very efficient running the ball to this year, to this point this year, but they do also have two very good linebackers. So defensive line depth could be a concern for us, but that's why I, I would be, I, I wouldn't be surprised because I don't know how good their coaching staff is. If they tried to, um, if they, I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to play like the short passing efficiency game, but that would be kind of stupid because it would go against what they're good against and what um, I'm good against. You're good against. And what, yeah, me personally, I'm good against. No, it w- it would go against what they can do well on offense, and go against what we are. It would not target what we do poorly on defense. Um, yeah, I agree. I think we got to blitz the hell out of him. Um, I I I said blitz that mf'er in all caps because that's what Todd Grantham did, and that's how Todd Grantham and uh, Muschamp talk. So, um, I think we need to be efficient in the run game, and I think we need to see some offensive crea- creativity. You know, like um. If we are going to average three or four yards per run, we're in good shape. But then also, if we can have, if we can pop a bunch of explosive plays and like continue to put that pressure on Jerboro and make him win the game for them, that's going to really help for us. I, I really think this is kind of a game. Kyle Andridge, friend of the pod, and I were talking after the Vandy game about what is this game going to look like, and it's and it's one of those things where I think if UGA scores forty, it, I mean we're in pretty good shape. You know what I'm saying? Just because I think their offense is good, and and they scored 40 against Ole Miss, who was atrocious, of course. I think they're good, but they're not so good that you're just like, okay, you have to you have to score 40 to win this game. And so, having said that, if we have that kind of day where we can just score 35 on them, like we're going to be in pretty good shape. That doesn't guarantee a win, but it does mean that we've had enough success on offense that we're forcing yeah, them. That's to what pass. we want. At the end of the day, we want them to pass. Yeah, but offensive creativity, like, you know, we, we saw a little bit more opening up the pass game. I think we just need to see that, uh, continue to see that, getting the tight ends involved. We finally started doing that against Vandy. I think just seeing a little bit better, more play design, uh, a little bit more trickeration, not even trickery, just like more first down play action. That would end up be enough. You know, I saw something on Rivals about how other teams have really targeted their slot cornerback. And, you know, that would work well for us because we have one of the best slot receivers in the nation. So in McCole Hardman. So, you know, I think the tools are there for us to win this game. Uh, and I think the best version of UGA's defense or of UGA's game, we win this game. Like we come out and play 100 percent or we have like a 95th percentile game. We probably beat, you know, beat them pretty soundly. But the problem is that they're good enough and they they can cause enough havoc on D and they have enough like just sort of monsters on defense that if we come and screw around, they can beat us. And so that's that's what's a little bit disturbing. You want to move into some over-unders? Yeah, let's do some over-unders. All right. I'll throw my first one at you. My over-under is two and a half UGA running backs with a touchdown. And this comes from essentially the idea of this can't just came from one, moving the ball around to each of our, our running backs, just having more of a running back game mid to late game i think their defense on rushing specifically uh specifically to the things that we're good at on offense rushing wise um that is one of their best defensive stats so that's kind of where this two and a half piece came from so do we expect 2.5 uga running back touchdowns um i'm gonna say under just to keep things fun and interesting i will say over i think it'll be an over just because they are really great defensively 
on keeping explosiveness. And I think that we're probably going to rely on our running backs a lot more early in this game. Margin of error to be much smaller. That's kind of the idea. Keep the ball in the hands of the running backs. All right. Over under 35 UGA points scored. Mm, I'm going to say over. Mm, I'm going to leave over. I'm going to lean over as well. Uh, pick agreement. Pick unity. Pick unity. All right. Give me your next one. UGA 11 and a half Havoc plays. Uh, under. Yeah, Always take not, the under. That's a Always big take the under with Havoc, havoc plays. play. I know. I just want to see more. Yeah. I want to see kind of a, a, a mirrored game from that Florida game. I'd love to be wrong. I love. I just to don't be think wrong. this is a game that we we gas it on necessarily. Uh, I'll say I'll say under as well. LSU had exactly 200 rushing yards last week against. Um, I saw that against uh, Florida. So I'm going to say LSU over under 200 rushing yards. I'm going to say you said under. Yeah, I'm. Well, no, you tell me yours first. Oh, I'm sorry. You already typed it up. <laughs> I was going to say under as well. I think they're going to try and get. Well, tough to say. I'll say over. I'll say that's where they're going to get their their yards from, just because that, that is where our weakest point is. I think they'll try to move it around a bit. Joe Burrow will, will run a good bit, and maybe they'll pick up... Uh, I don't want to say they'll pick up 200 total, but I'll say over, just for the sake of being different. I'm going to say... All right, give me your next one. Oh, you didn't say over and under. I think I just read it for you. <laughs> yeah, I said under. You're going to say I, under? I, I, okay. just, um, I just don't know. I think we're going to be able to score enough points against them that we'll put pressure on them to throw. Okay. So imagine a scenario where we do get up pretty considerably early in the game and Joe Burrow is forced, forced to throw more often. Do we see from his attempted explosive plays over under 2.5 Joe Burrow interceptions? Ooh. I'm going to say under. I'm going to say over just three. I'm going I'm okay. to hope that I, we I mean, I definitely, I definitely can see that. I definitely can see that. He, he underthrows. He overthrows. He just, I don't know. He's just very inaccurate when it comes to trying to get that ball deep. And we have some very, very quick uh, quarterbacks. So I'm going to say over. Yeah, I'm going to say under just because he hasn't made that many mistakes. Yeah. And here's an interesting one. Our, our annual Justin Fields over under <laughs> weekly. Hey, our annual. Uh, over under <laughs> Justin Fields. Over under Justin Fields 10 snaps. I'm going to say under. I'm going to say over. I'm going to see him at, yeah, less than 10 for sure. Let me, Give me your prediction. How do you think the game's going to go? What's the score going to be? Sure. So we've got um, SP Plus tells us that this is a 9.1 spread with UGA being the favorite. Vegas odds are putting this game at UGA 7.5 favorites. So they're saying, will this game be uh, more or at a touchdown more uh, in this game? So it'll be an interesting time. I, I do think we cover the spread. I think we cover the spread a bit more than we'd like or, or than people are expecting. I think we, we handle this game a, a, a lot better. And it, we kind of put it in the bag by the third quarter. In the fourth quarter, we just kind of coast. I am foreseeing this game being UGA 38, 38 LSU 17. Oh, man. It's a pretty decisive well ours are going to be real different one of us is going to be really wrong yeah i know um, i think the game's going to be really close before halftime but going going i think this is going to be a game that's going to be close because it's tiger stadium and they just play close games in there and they get hyped up for good teams so um and they have enough athletes they don't necessarily have the athletic depth that we do but they have enough very good athletes in their first team that they're going to give us problems um i see this being a game where we could blow it out, but we settle for too many field goals, and then they settle for too many field goals. And I am going to say UGA 33, LSU 27. I like it. Yeah, looking back on mine, I I, I feel bad about what I had done, but I'm going to stick with it. You, you're so sad. <laughs> I like 38-24 more, but I've already said 38-17, so that's what it is. Let's uh let's finish this episode out with uh, everyone's favorite segment, Ask CBC. Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. All right, so the very first CBC comes from Arbale 28 RBL28 asks, where the hell is Demetrius Robinson? 
That is all. Also, they uh, said Demetrius uh, Robert Robin- Robinson. It's Demetrius Robertson. <laughs> um, I think the problem is he took a whole year off because he got hurt, and he doesn't have. Um, he doesn't know the he doesn't know the obvious, or he doesn't know the offense. And then also, I think the biggest issue is he's not much of a blocker right now. Yeah. So I just don't think he. I think that the wide receiver core is probably better than we thought it would be, and he just hasn't earned the playing time. Playing time, and Kirby don't give a. <laughs> that's how he do. Philip Nowicki asks, with David Marshall, Devontae Wyatt, and Daquan Hawkins-Muckle, most likely out for the LSU game, who needs to step up more, Malik Herring, Jay Hayes, or Jordan Davis? Jordan Davis, because I think nose tackle was where we were the weakest to begin with. I think that that is, Jordan Davis is going to have to, regardless of the injury situation, he was going to have to step up anyway. All right, Ryan Clark says, what do you think is going to be the most improved thing about this team this year at the end of the year? Thoughts? I already think it's been the secondary. We The secondary had a lot of questions, a lot of asks. The in, inside linebackers had a lot of questions, a lot of asks, a lot of what-ifs. Um, but I think the defensive backs in general are just, they are already, they feel like the most improved at this point, and they've they've, they've come to play. I mean, it, it's been super awesome. I mean, yeah. going into the season, yeah. we already knew the offense was going to be stellar. We had all these running backs, line, you know, wide receivers and two five-star quarterbacks, but I think the, the secondary is definitely where it's at. Um, I would say if you started this question at the beginning of the year, like from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, I would probably say defensive backs. I think if you say from now until the end of the year, I'm actually going to say like interior run defense, because I think we're going to have some defensive linemen and some inside linebackers come of age. Mm-hmm. And I think they're really going to turn it on in the second half. I like it. Arc Russell with the turnovers. You have had a vi- bigger margin of victory against UT than us. I assume is what he meant to add. Mm-hmm. Uh, what will be the difference this week for UGA against LSU to show how much better of a team we are than them? Like, our quarterback's just way better than Florida's. Oh, for sure. Like, that's it. Jake Fromm, <laughs> if you have to win one game, gun to your head. Are you taking Jake Fromm or Felipe Franks? Like, Jake I mean, Fromm. it's not it's not a question, right, at this point. And they managed to beat LSU pretty soundly with uh, not a great, not a great um, quarterback. So I think if we play clean and we, you know, have a disruptive defense the way they did, it, we can be successful. Mm-hmm. I think it has to be a decided game by the fourth quarter. For, for the, the nation to be happy, for the media to go easy is the biggest thing. That's all. Oh, yeah, that's not going to happen. No, it's not going <laughs> to Our very last and probably our favorite segment is the Dr. James Bearfield Choll Corner presented by Cheerwine, the wine that gives you, the wine that gives you diabetes, TM, TM, TM. How would you equate the LSU offense to Schrodinger's Paradox? Well, Schrodinger's cat is the idea that if you put a cat inside a box and you have a poison... All right, uh, with poison inside of it, and there's a switch, and one switch does not activate poison gas, the qu- and the other switch, uh, one side of the switch doesn't activate, and the other switch does, and then you put a molecule in suspended state inside of the switch, um, and basically, like depending on where the molecule falls in terms of its like, um, in terms of negative or positive charge, that flips the switch. That basically, um, since you don't know whether or not the poison has gone out, you don't know if the cat is dead. And so there's like a supposition of states of dead cat and a live cat in the box until you open the box and collapse the waveform into one possibility. And it's basically a, it's a thought experiment about how, like about the observation of um, like the states of things and also how like physical waveforms, like it kind of actually result, uh, kind of ties back into the whole black hole paradox where like physical entities and physical objects like cannot be changed at their fundamental level and how those don't you until you make an observation of them they don't it doesn't collapse one way or the other 
Yeah. So how would I can equate that to LSU's offense? Uh, yeah, I, I would say LSU's offense is kind of like that, where it's like, well, when you open the box, when the game starts, then you figure out which one you got. Did you get the good one? Did you get the good Joe Burrow? Or did you get the bad Joe Burrow, where the poison went off and he's dead, kind of? Or the poison went off and now he just has a dead cat stapled to his throwing hand. <laughs> I hate that. Should And then he has a lie. When he's good, he has a live cat stapled to his throwing hand, and that cat can throw a hell of a deep ball. And he hates Mondays. Garfield. Loves the, lasagna, the though. Football destroyer. Yeah. Hey, Nathan, last question from James Beerfield. Should Shakespeare have given credit to the authors whose work he stole? So, Beerfield knows that he's triggering me here. Mm-hmm. He's done it before, and he's just trying to rile me up. But hey, good news. Joke's on you, James. It works. So, <laughs> there is this fully vacuous theory that... Um, so there's this totally vacuous theory Shakespeare did not compose his plays and that they were either composed by um, the Earl of Oxford or a conglomerate of other playwrights at the time, including Christopher Marlowe. So there's basically like three cool schools of thought. There's the Stratfordians who think that Shakespeare wrote his own plays. God, there's the uh, Oxfordians who think that the Earl of Oxford wrote it in secret because it wasn't appropriate for nobleman to be artist and then there's the like marlowe's or like the i don't think they actually have a name but it's like the group of authors people who think that a group of other authors use shakespeare as a pen name okay so let me i'm gonna i want to just address these one by one all right so the oxfordians think that the the like third oral of oxford who was the contemporary was a contemporary nobleman of shakespeare's wrote all of shakespeare's plays and published them through like basically a cutout uh, who was William Shakespeare, so that he could like maintain his dignity. First off, there's not a lot of ex- uh, extent historical evidence that it would have been inappropriate for a noble to write a play, so that's just sort of bullshit bullshit its face. But second, if you look at the source of where it comes from, like this is a theory that has mostly been promulgated by the direct descendants of the Earl of Oxford at the time, who are now not noble nobility and are just being jackasses because they want to cash in on Shakespeare's legacy, right? So that's one problem. The second problem is that Christopher Marlowe was such a like incredibly voluminous writer. He produced so much work that it is almost impossible that he produced any part of the 53 plays of Shakespeare, however many they are. And and like it's also just silly because we have contemporary reports of Shakespeare being in different places than Christopher Marlowe at the publishing of his plays. And then on top, I mean, Christopher Marlowe spent like an entire segment of his life in France being tra- being trained as a priest while undercover for the British Secret Service. And that's a whole like other crazy cool story, but whatever. And then like at, at best, if you're an Oxfordian and you believe this kind of bullshit, you're being classist, right? But th- I think the in the internal like logic of these theories is that they want to cut down the greatness of a normal man. And that's the thing about Shakespeare. Shakespeare was just some nobody who like genuinely changed the way humans communicate for the, since he lived, he has changed the way humans communicate forever. He count, he coined thousands of words. He fundamentally shifted the way we think about story. His, 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 the, the relevancy of his, of his cultural literacy references are unmatched in the history of the world. He is, like if you're going to teach people one canon and you can choose between Shakespeare and the Bible, just in terms of cultural literacy, it's probably more important to read Shakespeare. Right. And so the idea that somehow that that couldn't exist in a normal man, it's just, it's, it so doubts the creative, like the creative like capability of humanity. And it's so cynical as to like what people can do with nothing but talent and will. And it just, it, it disgusts me. Like, why do you like art? 
You know what I mean? If the people who make your art have to be special, what the f*** does that say about why you like art? I mean, it just, it, it, it makes me f***ing in sins. Yes, Shakespeare wrote all his f***ing plays. I, yes, also James Barefield is just trolling me. But also this like, genuinely pisses me off. This so famously pisses me off that the reason that James Barefield knows about it is that my dad always says it. And he told the tubas that I was working with when I, my first year working with Redcoats. And then they said it to me to piss me off. Aren't, anyway. Aren't dads great? I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, that was some, like, definite, like, old man, like, dad dicking he did to me, but <laughs> he was like, yeah, what up, son? And he got me, like, in the weirdest way, like, he went to a, an exhibition that the Redcoats were playing to, at across the state that I was not at, and while he was there talking to Mallory in the section, he told the rest of them, hey, ask Nathan why Shakespeare didn't write his plays. And that's some, like, next, I, I respect that kind of next level jackassery. And then he fell into the darkness, just became one yeah. of the crowd. Yeah, never, never seen again by anyone in that. <laughs> like, who was that man? Some say he's still there today. Anyway, <laughs> that was our show, folks. This has been Chapel Bell Curve. And uh, you can find us anywhere that you found us today, like iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else you can subscribe to a podcast. I, for one, use Google Podcasts. What do you use, Nathan? Have you re- I used Pocket Cast. Google Podcasts is not fully featured at this point. Google Podcasts is garbage, but I really love Google, and I want to show my support and provide feedback. I actually really love nah. Podcast Addict, but podcast Google Podcasts will yeah. get there one day. Anyway. Pocket Cast is the way I fly. If you anyway, want to yell yeah. at us on Twitter or yell at us on any of our other ways to get in touch with us, you can get in touch with us at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. Or my Twitter handle um, is the Justin Bray, and Nathan's is Nathan J. Lawrence. Or you can just yell but at you us. better f- come correct <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> you snuck that one in uh or you can get in touch with us just at chapel bell curve you can also check out our website if you really want to go there and uh play episodes straight from it that's totally fine if you want to be on the show you can hit us with a hashtag ask cbc and you can find yourself on the show as well we will ask or answer your questions um as they come up i want to start saying uh thank you to bill Connolly for unknowingly letting us use your stats and pick them apart yeah. so thanks bill if you're listening out there which you're not, but that's okay. If you enjoyed today's episode, though, feel free to give us a rating and a review. It means a lot to us, and it helps us get in front of other people. And if you really enjoyed today's show, let somebody else know. Tell someone at your office. Argue with them about the dogs. Tell them why you know so much about the dogs. And we would like to talk to them as well. But until next time we talk to you, we'll catch you down in the bayou. Yeah, or in the classic city. Or in the classic city where we will both be. And until then, as always, go dogs. Go dogs.